Good morning, Crosspoint. Today's scripture reading is from Psalm 120, a song of ascents. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you, and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with glowing coals of the broom tree? Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshach, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I had my dwelling among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. All right, Crosspoint, you may be seated. How are we doing today? Oh, good. Wow, I'm not convinced. It's like, oh, great, we got to go back to church now. Come on, how are we doing today? Good, good. Jonathan's got his Miami Dolphin hat on. He is ready for another losing season. So am I. So am I. Hey, I say that as a Dolphin fan, and we can commiserate together. You just better not tell us that we're a bad team. We're only supposed to say it about ourselves. Right, Jonathan? That's right. That's right. It's in secret. So now the secret's out, and I think everybody knew about it. Football season begins today. It's hard to believe how much has transpired um, I'm going to give Josiah my, my slideshow there on my thumb, thumb drive anyway. Um, so that way you have the sermon slides. Uh, I had forgot to give that to him. We're all out of sorts this morning, but here's the thing that's going to ground us. It's the Word of God. It is God's Word that we come here for. We come here to gather in worship because we think that there's something special about the church gathering to sing of God's excellencies, that he called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. And then we also think, we believe that something powerful happens when the word of God is preached. It's not a monologue. It's not some guy talking to you. There's a dialogue that's happening. There's a holy interchange in which the power of God's Holy Spirit is using His Word being communicated to your heart, to your life. He's bringing you in. He's calling us on this journey together. So would you join me as we pray for our time together? Lord, Lord, we, we ask that, God, You would renew us. God, the songs that we're going to study would renew our hearts. Lord, You would give us a new song song of praise to you. God, that for those of us who would say even this morning that we've been through so much over the past six months, we don't know if we have anything to sing about, Lord. I pray that you would give us the songs to sing, the words to say, and Lord, that you would cause our hearts to bear up, to strengthen, to find resolve and renewal in you. It's in your name we pray together church says amen amen so when you think about the word renewal what do you think about i was thinking about this i closed my eyes for a moment and i imagined myself on a deserted island with just the absolute best of things it was like i was on a cruise ship but only my best friends and family were on there, and so we could social distance and have all the space we wanted, and then took us to Disney's Coco Key, and we had the whole place to ourselves. Now that would be renewal, right? Or, or maybe it's 
a, a log cabin in the mountains and there's a creek that runs next to it and at night it's cold enough to make a fire and in the daytime it's warm enough to go swimming in the lake. I mean, you hear me talking about renewal there, right? Or, or maybe, maybe it's a little less like fantastic than that and it's just, you're, you're just kind of craving, you know, you're, you're, you're young married and you're thinking, if I just had a weekly date night, I feel like I can't renew our, our, our relationship with my spouse because I don't have a weekly date night. Or, or maybe it's, it's even more simple than that. Maybe the last six months have bore really hard upon you, and, and you're thinking, I have to relook at everything in my life. My career has been in jeopardy. My finances are, are unsettled. My future is uncertainty. Renewal. I don't know where to begin. And so, what is it that grounds us? Now, now when I think about renewal, we also use the word in, uh, renewal in different ways. So, last month I got one of those tax collector birthday wishes, except it doesn't say happy birthday. It says renew your vehicle registration. Anybody got one of those? So, that's renewal, right? And I went online, and I renewed my registration, and I thought, I only renewed one vehicle. Normally, I have to renew b both vehicles. They're, they're both under Carrie and I's name, but they're attached to my birthday. And so I went out to the car license plate, and I saw that Carrie's vehicle still said September 2019. And I went into Carrie. I said, Carrie, I, I can't believe it. You've been driving on an expired license plate. <laughs> <laughs> throwing Carrie under the bus here. Um, and then I, I went and went online. And I said, okay, how can I renew her registration? And, well, in order to renew her registration, I couldn't do it online. I had to go into the tax collector's office, which meant that in coronavirus world, I had to make an appointment. And I had to get there 15 minutes early. And they had a guard checking us in at the door, and when we went to the door at the tax collector's office, I gave them the last four digits of my phone number to let them know that I was there, and then I waited 30 minutes in the hot and humid kind of under this garage with 50 other people who, by the way, weren't social distancing, and waited for them to call my name and my number, and then finally my name was called, and I went behind the counter, and there, the woman was there. She said, how can I help you? And I said, I, I need to renew my driver's license. It's been expired for a year. And she says, okay, here's, here's your, uh, can I have your driver's license? I gave that to her. And I said, I don't have to pay for the year that was expired, do I? Because, you know, we didn't get pulled over or anything. She says, yeah, you got to pay for it and you're going to be penalized. And I'm like, oh, great. Now we got a penalty because I didn't renew my registration. And then uh, $102 later, uh, got their registration renewed from 2019 to 2020. Carrie, you're good to drive uh, from here on out. And it feels really good, right, to be renewed. <sighs> Thank you, Lord, for the tax collector's office and the $102 that made me feel better. No, that doesn't feel like renewal, does it? But, but I want us to know that oftentimes we treat renewal in the Lord like paying a tax. Paying a tax. Man, I got to read my Bible today if I want renewal. I got to Man, I gotta, I gotta do this. I don't really feel like praying, but I know the Bible calls me to pray. I know God really wants me to pray, and so we begrudge, begrudgingly go to the Lord in prayer. Or, or maybe it's, I know the Bible says love one another, but I really hate these people around me. 
And how can I really love these people? And so we, we see this road to renewal as a list of rules, as a list of boxes uh, 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 that we have to check off. Instead of it being this transforming relationship of grace where God calls us up the mountains and down the valleys in pursuit after Him in the Lord, we, we treat it like paying a tax. I want to call us to something deeper and more significant on this journey in renewal together. Eugene Peterson, he, he writes this. He says, a person has to be thoroughly disgusted with the way things are to find the motivation to set out on the Christian way. That, that's the way of renewal, by the way. As long as we think that the next election might eliminate crime and establish justice, huh? Sounds like the season we're in right now. As long as we think that uh, another scientific breakthrough might save the environment or maybe us from the coronavirus pandemic, or, or, or as long as we think that a pay raise might push us over the edge of anxiety into a life of tranquility, we are not likely to risk the arduous uncertainties of a life of faith. A person has to get fed up with the way things are of the world before he or she acquires an appetite for the world of grace. Fed up. That's what the psalmist here is, is expressing. He's expressing a heart attitude that says, I'm fed up and I'm setting out on the Christian way, the way of renewal. Colossians 3, 1 and 2 says, if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not the things that are on earth. You see, oftentimes the reason why we struggle with renewal is because we think that renewal comes from our left and our right, from, comes, comes horizontally rather than vertically. But renewal is the way up. And the Psalms of Ascent are the songs that are sung on the way up. The Israelites, the, these are ancient Psalms. This is like the Spotify playlist of the ancient Israelites as they were ascending the hill of Mount Zion. As they would go to these regular festivals together, the festival of Passover, of tabernacles, all these different festivals they would go to, and it would be almost, for some of them, a month journey all together, that they would leave their towns from the surrounding areas of Jerusalem in order to go into the place that God had prepared for them with the people that God had called them to be with, God's people, the church, and to be in His presence. And they would go to this place, and they would celebrate two primary things. Number one, that God is good, right? God is good. Pandemic notwithstanding, economic collapse, no matter what it is, presidential election, it doesn't matter. God is good. And they would celebrate the goodness of God and God's gracious provision. And the second thing they would celebrate is God's redemptive work throughout the Israelites' history. Passover, for example, was a celebration that God spared the sons of Israel and he judged the sons of Egypt. You remember the story of Moses? Where Moses and the Israelites are in Egypt. 
and the ten plagues come upon them, and in the tenth plague, they're to kill a lamb as a sacrifice, and they, they take the blood of the lamb, and they, they, they mark it with an X over their doorpost, so that as the angel of death went through the land of Egypt, the sons of Israel were spared, and the sons of Egypt were slaughtered, but God's people went free. They were bringing the hope of renewal into these celebrations, reminding themselves that our God is a good God and our God is a faithful God and our God is not done with us yet. Passover was an event that just happened in the past. It was a reality that pointed them towards God's future deliverance ultimately in Jesus Christ. And so as the Israelites would go up the hill they would sing these songs, these familiar tunes. They memorized them. If you read them long enough, and I encourage you to read them 20 or 30 times a week, they're not hard to read. They're easy to memorize. You can memorize one verse from each psalm and then find that you're kind of making this collection of psalms in your own heart. He says, In my distress, I called to the Lord, and He answered me. I called to the Lord, and He answered me. So the big idea today is that the first step to renewal is repentance. That's the big idea that I want to drive home to our hearts today. The, the first step to renewal, one step towards God, it's repentance. It's repentance. And I'm going to use this psalm as a way to show us that. Psalm 120, we see two things. The first thing we see is holy distress. Holy distress, verse 1 and 2. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. Deliver me, O Lord, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. In my distress. In my distress. Good poetry is beautiful, not because good poetry is beautiful, but because it's real. And the psalmist here gives us some good poetry because it's real in my distress. Distress is, is this feeling of claustrophobia, like the world is collapsing in on you, like there's nowhere else to go. It's feeling like you're in prison and you're in chains and you can't escape. There's nowhere to run. There's nowhere to hide. Distress is the feelings of intense agony, anguish, sorrow, and pain. It's being filled even with torment. And it's this feeling that everything is crumbling, everything is falling apart. And in this moment of distress, where does the psalmist call? Where does he call? Who knows? Where does he call? Anybody? God! God! There's a lot of other places where we could call out in, our, in the middle of our distress, but at this point in the psalmist's journey, he cries out to the only place he knows where to run. And he says, I called out to God, and he answered me. You know why calling out to God in distress is repentance? Because we've learned that that's the place I've got to go to escape all the lies, all the foolishness, 
all of the world and everything else. That there is nothing in the world that can answer me in my distress. In my distress, I called out to God. Now the distress that the psalmist is going through is the distress of of words that bring harm. Lying lips, gossip, slander. He is being maligned significantly from those around him. And from a wellspring of truth from his heart, he cries out to God. Eugene Peterson, you're going to hear me quote him a lot throughout this series. He writes a fantastic book on these 15 Psalms explaining them. But he says the first step towards God is a step away from the lies of the world. First step towards God is a step away from the lies of the world. That's the the first step. Realizing that, man, if I go to the world in the middle of my distress, what am I going to get? I'm going to get lies. I'm going to get cheated. I'm going to get torment. I'm going to get anguish. I'm going to get pain. I'm going to get more agony. He says, the usual biblical word describing the no we say to the world's lies and the yes we say to God's truth is repentance. It is always and everywhere the first word of the Christian life. Listen, there's a a no and a yes that's necessary for the Christian life. It is no to the false saviors of this world in the false promises and dead hopes. And it is a yes to Jesus every time. Every time. The whole world is, 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 is like this, this false advertisement selling us false saviors and false hopes all the time. And repentance is saying no to that garbage and yes to Jesus Christ. Yes, Lord, walking in the way of your truth, we eagerly wait for you. For your name and your renown are the desires of our hearts, our souls, says Isaiah. Yes, Lord. Now, it's important that we know sometimes in order to get to the first step, things have to get really bad. I don't know about you, but I could be hard-headed. Sometimes it really takes me a, a lot of trouble a lot of trouble in my life, a lot of trouble in my heart, a big mess that I've even made myself to get to a point of saying yes to God. Has anybody else found that, that it's through trouble and trials and struggles that you're more inclined to say yes to God? Anybody? Yeah. I'm more inclined to say yes to God in those trials. And while we're not like, like just eager for pain. We're not praying, God, I pray for more distress in my life tomorrow. I just really pray that I'll have a really bad day because obviously I'm not reaching out to you. So Lord, help me with your distress reach out to you. We don't pray those prayers. We just won't. But it's the distress that causes us to say, Lord, I realize that part of the reason I'm in distress is because I haven't followed after you. And you're using this to bring my attention towards you so that I would say no to the lives of the world and yes to Jesus. Uh, Ashley McGuirt, who just read the scripture passage for today, 
Uh, she wrote a little devotional in that book. I, I really, really want you to follow along with us in those books. But, but she says this really well. She said, If not for the psalmist's distress, would he have, would he have called upon the Lord? <laughs> like, if it wasn't for the distress that this psalmist was feeling, would we even have this psalm? No. She says, often in my own life, I find it is my distress that reminds me of my need for Christ. It is in my distress that I am brought to true repentance. Man, count it as a good gift when you feel the severity of God's distress that helped you say no to the pack of lies of this world and say yes to the truth of Jesus Christ. Now this repentance causes this complete reevaluation, and then the, the psalmist is now dealing with the, the real problem, the real issue at heart, and that's the lying lips of those who are betraying him, gossiping, slandering against him. He says, What shall be given to you, and what more shall be done to you, you deceitful tongue? A warrior's sharp arrows with glow, glowing coals of a broom tree. Now, he, he, he's really turning to the Lord in prayer, and he's trusting that God will get justice on his behalf. That in the same way a marksman shoots an arrow and it doesn't miss his mark, God's justice is more accurate. His vengeance is more highly skilled than the marksman. In the same way that the glowing coals of the broom tree can stoke a fire that can become a furnace and dis devour and disintegrate anything in its path. The same way God's wrath comes with a vengeance. In other words, you don't have to worry about the haters. God's got it. But you go to him in prayer and you acknowledge that vengeance belongs to the Lord. Now, I'm reminded that in the world of, of social media that we take our complaints instead of to God, to Facebook. <laughs> Fake book, we'll just call it. We take our complaints there. But I, I want to encourage you, church, to take your complaints first to the Lord. Charles Spurgeon, famous preacher in Great Britain, was slandered a lot by a lot of people. He gave us this instruction. He says, Silence to man and prayer to God are the best cures for the evil of slander. Silence to man, prayer to God, the best cures for the evil of slander. When you feel maligned, when you feel gossiped when, uh, uh, about, when you feel like your character is being destroyed, God's going to take care of the haters. <laughs> he is. Go to the Lord in prayer. Second thing that we see from the psalmist as he cries out to the Lord is this holy discontentment. Holy discontentment. The reason why I put the word holy in front of these two words is because there's a distress that is not holy, and that's the distress that seeks for satisfaction in the things of the world, in the horizontal rather than the vertical, up and down. And then in discontentment, there is an unholy discontentment. An unholy discontentment is a contentment that fa a, a discontentment that really is discontent not because of an absence of Christ, but because we want to be self-righteous about something. We want to be self-protective about something. Oftentimes, discontentment can be more about us and less about Jesus. But this discontentment 
is a holy discontentment. It's a discontentment that cannot find satisfaction because Christ is absent. God is absent in the world around the psalmist. You know, we are called as Christian to find true and steadfast contentment. But that's in one thing. Jesus. One thing. Christ. Not in anything else. Not in our finances. Not in our home, not in our future, but solely in Christ. Now, he takes care of the rest. We trust him as he works all those things out. Now, on the other side, discontentment is addressing the absence of Christ or God and his plan and purpose in the world. And that's why the psalmist says, woe is me. You know the familiar passage in Isaiah where, where the seraphim are encircling the throne and they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And then they circle the throne again. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. You, you know the, 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 the cry of Isaiah after seeing this picture of the angelic vision of heaven? It is the same cry. Woe is me. Because Isaiah sees the absence of God in his own life in the world around him. And the psalmist is seeing the same thing. Woe is me. There's an absence of God in my life in the world around me. And this cannot continue. There's a fed upness that the psalmist is acknowledging and dealing with. Seems like the world is really, really familiar with the fed upness around us, right? That's a familiar tune. All around us, there's people that are fed up. Fed up with masks or no masks or fed up with racial injustice and inequality and, and the feelings surrounding that. Fed up with political differences and opinions. I mean, there's a faction. Uh, our nation is, is fracturing almost at every line and becoming increasingly tribalized. So is the church. So is the church. There's this war that's being raged. And, and the thing that I don't like about it, and I'm actually discontented with, is that the war that's being raged is against ourselves. And a kingdom that fights against itself will always crumble. Always crumble. But the holy discontentment is one that cries out for peace. Peace. Now, it's not this pie in the sky, everything's okay, we all just got to give each other a big hug and get along. It's, let's address the real issue. Where's Christ in the middle of this? You know, I, I think some arguments that we get involved in are worthy. I think some of them are. I think many of them are petty because we aren't motivated by the sufficiency and the centrality of Christ in those arguments as much as we are by our own opinions. And we need to repent of that, church. We need to stop fighting for the things that don't matter and fight for the peace, the shalom, the reconciliation of God. 
We should be bridge builders towards racial reconciliation. We should be passionate about politics because we have a, a good vision in mind for the future of our nation. But man, we want to see Christ right smack dab in the middle of all these things. And if Christ isn't in it, then I'm out. And let's not engage in the rhetoric of this world that is it's just, I mean, it smells so bad. It's the stench of death. But may we bring the aroma of life. And that's why he says that there's these, it's, it's like he's in the campground. And he's surrounded by all of his most argumentative friends on social media. Right? It's horrible. I've got the people from Meshach on the north. That was the far, north, a far northern kingdom or, or village where it was hostile territory against the people of God. Same thing with Kedar. That was to the south. It was an expression that those would have been familiar with to say that I'm not welcome there. And when you go into those places of hostility and you cry out for peace, all they want is war. That's all they want. But we come with the peace, the shalom of God. Son, Jesus Christ. We say, too long I have made my dwelling of those, among those who hate peace. There's a real truth here for us to, to, to cling on to. And the truth that we can cling on to in this is that this is not my home. This is not my home. The Bible uses language for the church, the people of God. I'm not even just talking about Old Testament, although it is Old Testament, but these are, these are verses and, and words that are used for the New Testament church. It says, you are exiles. You are sojourners. You are refugees. Think about it. A refugee doesn't try to make the place where they're a refugee uh, uh, the perfect home. Why? Because they know that that's not their home. In fact, a lot of times a refugee will work in a place, will make money, and will send money back at home, back to home. In the same way, we are we're aliens in this world. We are refugees. We're sojourners. We don't have to stock up our 401k or 403b. Yes, be concerned about your future, but that's not primary because this is not your home. One day you're going to take your last breath on this earth unless Jesus comes back. And you're not going to have any of that stuff. And, you, and, and, and now is the time where Jesus says, lay up treasures in heaven where nothing can steal or kill or destroy, where nothing can deteriorate or corrupt anything that's in God's perfect place with God's perfect presence among God's people who he has made perfect in Jesus' blood. That's my home. That's my home. That's our home. We should feel that. A guy named Rhett Dodson, he says, he says, it doesn't worry me when Christians get upset and frustrated with the world. He says, I'm concerned when Christians become too comfortable in this world, too settled, too invested. That's a concern. I actually find that I get less concerned about that in my own life. And when I really look hard at my life, I should say, if I'm getting too comfortable, too settled, too invested, that's a problem. Because I should be able to say, this is not my home. God has made a perfect place for me. Now in the middle of this, this psalm, there's some real important lessons that we can learn. I want to give you application. 
from these lessons. And the big idea of our application is that repentance is an upward grind. Repentance is an upward grind. Martin Luther, the famous church reformer, says that God willed it that all of life should be one of repentance. All of life. Repentance is not a one and done thing. Holy distress, holy discontentment doesn't happen one time in your life ultimately change. You should note that the Christian life is filled with valleys and mountains, ups and downs, and it is an uphill grind, and it is constant. It doesn't stop. The Christian life is a continual journey up. Uh, two years ago, Carrie and I, we went to a pastors and wives retreat in Vail, Colorado. That sounds really good right now. I want to go back to Vail, Colorado for another pastors and wives retreat. Um, and so we, we got there and we had a little time to kill that day. We, we, got, we got there a little later than most people. And, um, but we, we had spent all the time on the airplane and, and we wanted to get, get some energy and go out and see the beautiful scenery. I mean, it's the middle of summer. It's like 70 degrees out. It's so gorgeous. So we, uh, we set off with some friends uh, and we go hiking. Um, I have never been to the Colorado Rockies before and I didn't realize how bad of an idea this was. Um, going, flying into the Colorado Rockies and then going hiking because the elevation change is massive. And so we, we go, and, and we, we're, we're walking up, and, I, you know, it must have been a tenth of a mile, and I'm like, <sighs> and we just keep trudging along, trudging along, and, and, you know, both of us, Carrie and I, were wondering if we can do it. Now, the others, they've had a day or so to adapt and adjust, but we're, we're just getting kind of into it. And I, I notice that as I'm walking along, I'm just looking at the ground, looking at the ground all the time. And I forget where I'm at and the beauty around me and that I don't really have to go fast. I can just go and I can enjoy what God's given me in the creation around me. And so rather than looking down, I look up and, and here's what I see. It's got the picture there. I don't see that. The slide. No slides? We don't have slides. Well, you can imagine this beautiful Colorado Rocky Mountains <laughs> with a stream. And... <laughs> And it's just gorgeous. I mean, everything around it was so beautiful. And, and we both were like, you know what? We're just going to walk. And we're going to breathe in. And if we got to stop, we're going to stop. And we're going to keep going. And we ended up going quite a long ways. At least it felt like it to me. Um, and, and we enjoyed every minute of it. Because we stopped looking down and we started looking up. Sometimes in our own lives, here's the challenge, is we, we don't realize that, yes, repentance is an upward grind, but we're looking at the ground the whole time. A guy named Robert Murray McShay says, for every look that you look at yourself, every one look that you look at yourself with, take 10 looks at Christ. Take 10 looks at Christ. Part of the problem with repentance is we're so concerned about us, and we're not concerned about the beauty and glory of Christ. For every one look at yourself, Look at Jesus 10 times and then let that be fuel for your journey. So as we continue this upward grind of repentance, there's, there's four uh, quick applications. Uh, the first one, in God's economy, the way up is down. The way up is down. Uh, this is uh, a quote by Beth Moore. In God's economy, in, in the way that God has wired the world, the way up 
is down. Distress and discontentment when pointed towards the holiness of Christ, it can feel like you're going backwards, but actually Scripture says that He is leading us forwards. Jesus says in the opening statement of the Beatitudes, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are you that you see that you are impoverished and bankrupt. Blessed are you, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. It's not when you've got it all together or when the world is going your way. The way up is down. Second thing that we need to see is prayer is our first response and not our last resort. Prayer is our first response and not our last resort. In the coronavirus quarantine, we have, have had a lot of time to pray, haven't we? Have we done it? Probably not. Do you know that, that oftentimes these seasons God gives us in waiting are seasons of prayer? And it, it's, not, it's not that we look for other ways out. It, it's that prayer is what we go to. It's not our last option. It's, it's, it's our best option right off the bat. We know that we're going to communicate with God. The third thing is that we see discontentment leads to change. Discontentment is something that we need to become, uh, to embrace because it actually leads to change. Where people become discontent with their lives, it changes their lives. It can propel their lives. And our lives are constantly in the midst of change and evolution and God is always working on that. And it causes us, we have to get fed up to see that there's a better way of change forward. And then the last thing that we must realize in the uphill grind is that we run to Christ. He's the only one to run to. Run to Christ. The Bible is not a self-help book. It is not a self-improvement project. If you read the Bible and it changes you and makes you a better person but less Christ-like, you're not any better. You're not any better, and it's not served the purpose that the Holy Spirit intended it for it, and that's to change your life so that you would look more like Jesus. So I want to close with a quote from uh, a famous theologian named Lady Antebellum. <laughs> she says this. She says in, in her song, I Run to You, she says, I run from hate, I run from prejudice, I run from pessimists, but I run too late. I run my life, or is it running me? Run from my past, I run too fast, or too slow it seems. When lies become the truth, that's when I run to you. The world keeps spinning faster into a new disaster. I run to you, I run to you, baby. And when it all starts coming undone, baby, you're the only one I run to, I run to you. You know, the song was at, wasn't actually written by uh, Lady Antebellum. It was written by an elder in a church in Nashville, uh, Tennessee. And um, the pastor who this elder went to says that this song is actually a pointer to Jesus. He's the only one we run to. In distress, in discontentment, when we're taking steps away from the lies of the world, we're taking steps towards Christ. And that's when we know that we are running the upward life of these psalms of ascent. And we are singing to our Savior. 
the one who, as we sing, we are running with our arms open and embracing him. And it's him who embraced us. It's him who laid down his life. It's Christ who sacrificed it all. And so as we run to him, we recognize that Jesus spared no expense in allowing us, through his distress, through his discontentment, to find salvation free, final, forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that we have a place to run. And it's you. Thank you, Lord, that you allow trials and hardships and distress, God, to cause us to look up. Thank you that in discontentment, Lord, you change us. Lord, we cry out to you now. Wherever we're at in life, Lord, we cry out to you. God, I'm thinking about those who are joining us online, Lord, and the various things that are, are, are racing through their mind, Lord, and that this church is not just within the four walls of this YMCA right now, Lord. May we collectively, by the power of your Holy Spirit, run to you now. And may we bear up for the long journey of renewal, a life that is lived in repentance. In Jesus' name, amen.